Hi there, and welcome to another edition of Making Money. I'm Gord Whitehead, along with the financial coach, Rod Hebert, retired portfolio manager. And Rod, we want to talk about monopolies. We, we sort of whet the appetite with our last episode of Making Money, talked about what monopolies are. I think most people pretty much can conceptualize what that means. But given the uncertain times in the market right now, we've we sort of pointed out that if the market decides to go the wrong way here and we get a we get a correction, get a drop, some of these companies are ones you should really look at seizing the opportunity if you have cash available to buy some of these. So let's start talking about some of the monopolies. And we kind of drifted into this one a little bit. Soft drinks is a great area to start. Yes, uh, soft drinks are a really good example of monopolies because there's two major players in the sector. You've got Pepsi and you've got Coke and not only are they the big players in North America but they're the big players in Asia, in Africa, in South America. They are global brands. And that Coca-Cola logo is one of the most recognized on planet Earth. Yes and where they tend to get their monopoly is if you go into a grocery store Typically, the grocers want to have suppliers that can provide them with, if you can provide three shelves worth of stuff that really moves, they'll give you more space. So the more stuff that they can rotate through that moves quickly, the more space they'll give you. So it's very hard for upstarts especially to get shelf space in grocery stores, whereas Pepsi and Coke uh, because they're the big players in the sector, they tend to crowd everyone else out. And here again, there's only two major players in the sector. There's a lot of niche companies in the, the soft drinks and the beverages. And of course, Pepsi and Coke are a lot bigger than just uh, carbonated soft drinks now. They have fruit juices, they have snack foods, all kinds of things. Yeah, right? snack foods, they have all kinds of things. So, but because they're so big, they can crowd everybody else out of shelf space. So that gives these two companies the ability to have pricing power. Because as we talked last week on the show, you know, you go and you buy a, a liter of Coke or a liter of Pepsi, they're pretty much the same price unless they're, they're having a, a clear out or, you know, they're trying to move some product or they're trying to act as a promotional uh, to get you into the store. But they really don't compete all that much anymore. So prices are not cutthroat. They're not trying to drive one another out of the business. They're trying to coexist with one another. And that gives these companies both enormous amounts of free cash flow to invest in things that are very shareholder friendly, as we talked about last week. Okay, let's talk about railroads, and, and uh, these are very near and dear to my heart. I've been a holder in Canadian railroads over the years several times, uh, and, and you want to talk about a monopoly here in Canada. Nobody's going to build another railroad. No, I mean, the, first of all, uh, you try to build anything, and NIMBY, uh, try to build a garbage dump. NIMBY is there, not in my backyard. Nobody wants a railroad going through their backyard. They say, what about if there's a... Uh, a derailment and a spill. Uh, there's noise, there's this, there's that. Yeah, exactly. And so even when CN and CP tries to expand their rail yards, they get so much pushback from the community that it's hard to add infrastructure, even for these guys that already have the infrastructure, which means it's virtually impossible 
for a newbie to come along and take away market share from them. And it's as bad in the U.S. as it is in Canada. So railroads are definitely a sector where there is limited competition and looks like there'll never be any more. I guess trucking kind of nibbles at the edges, but trucking doesn't have the moving power that rail does. No, and there's just a lot of things, especially bulk products like grain and potash and coal and timber, where it's very expensive to ship them by truck and it's much more efficient to ship by rail. And especially when costs of fuel are high, uh, you can take rail and it's a multiple, I think last time it was seven times cheaper just in fuel costs to ship by rail versus by truck. And I know that changes over time, but there is a significant advantage. And of course, where rail can really improve their efficiency is that you look and they're allowing the trains to get longer and longer and longer. I know going into St. Albert, sometimes I've sat there for 20 minutes and I've counted cars, you know, literally 100 to 200 cars that are being pulled in one train. And so they not only can make the trains longer, but now they used to have just single-decker. They stack them now, yeah. They stack them. They can stack them too high, which just means that rail, the cost has been getting much, much more efficient. Okay, internet search engines. Uh, we talked about this a couple episodes back. We threw the name Google out there. 90% of, of web searches worldwide are initiated using Google. Yeah, and of course, if you want to be contrarian, you can look at, da- at uh, Bing, Bing or, yeah. or if you're worried about being tracked, you can go to one of the exotic ones like DuckDuckGo. But there's such a minor part of the market that when you have over 90% of web searches worldwide come from Google and their parent company's Alphabet, I mean, this is a true technology monopoly. Okay, desktop operating software. Well, the name that automatically pops into everybody's head, I think, is Microsoft here. Yeah, and Microsoft has 75% of the market with its Windows operating system, 75% of the market for computers. Now, obviously, computer... Uh, uptake is beginning to slow down because everybody has one and some of what people used to do on a computer they're now doing on their cell phone or they're doing it on their iPad but still uh, I think everybody has a computer which they upgrade every few years and when they upgrade them they upgrade the software and Microsoft has used some of those profits that they are in the cloud they're one of the three big uh, players in cloud. They also have a number of other things which they're developing very monopolistic type of market shares to their business. So Microsoft is just another name where it's a, it's a huge tech monopoly. Okay, let's talk about life insurance. Canada has what, three major players in this sector? Yeah, three major players. They've got Manulife, they've got Great West Life, and they've got Sun Life. And I know that Manulife, I think it was, just bought London Life, which was another insurance. They're they're consolidating and getting fewer and fewer competitors here. Yes, and not only uh, is this market pretty much split up three ways, but uh, you look at all three players, and they're moving into markets where there is not a lot of established players. So... Uh, I was, where was I? I think it was a number of years ago when I was in Vietnam and we went to some village and I don't even think this village was on the map. I couldn't even find it in Google Maps. But there we were in the center of the town and there was one neon sign in the town. 
It was Manulife. Really? <laughs> it was Manulife in this town way out in the middle of nowhere, and someone there was selling Manulife insurance products. So this is an industry where it's very, very hard for an, a new company uh, to get into because they don't have the, they just don't have the the ability to to understand the underwriting process and the actuarial process where these players have a market and a trust. I mean, if you're going to put money with someone for, you know, I've had insurance products that I've paid into for 20, 30 years, and I might not get uh, some of these products aren't going to pay out till after I pass. So I might have some of these products for 40 or 50 years, and I'm not alone in this. So if you have something for 40, 50 years, and it's going to pay out when you're not around anymore, you want to be darn sure that the company has the financial wherewithal to survive. And make those payouts. And make those payouts. And and so there's a huge trust factor over the years that's been built with the big quality insurance companies. And so that, here again, makes it a very, very tough sector for someone to come in and try and take market share away from these guys. And a lot of people wonder, well, how do insurance companies process? They're, they're some of the biggest real estate holders on planet Earth, for starter. Right? They hold real estate. They're one of some of the biggest bondholders in the world. They're some of the biggest stockholders in the world. So they have enormous portfolios that they've owned for a long period of time uh, to make sure that they have the resources necessary to generate a payout when somebody isn't around anymore. More. Aircraft manufacturers, we talked about both of these, Airbus and Boeing. They're the dominant forces in this. Now, there are other manufacturers out there, but they don't compete with these two. No, I mean, if, for example, you take a look at Bombardier, which had so much debt that eventually Airbus uh, came in and, and said that they would market and develop their aircraft. And uh, Embraer is teaming up with Boeing. So the amount of major competitors out there is even getting smaller. Now, maybe in the next five or ten years, uh, you hear some rumblings, especially in Japan, where there could be a couple of major competitors coming along in the small aircraft that maybe seat maybe the single row aircraft. But it's going to be a long time before anybody comes out with a real big aircraft like the 777 and that are being flown internationally. So right now, these guys are dominate and literally, they price their products very close to one another. And of course, they complain when uh, with the other about unfair business practices. Business practices. Yeah. But at the end of the day, uh, both of them are making a lot of money. They're really coining money because there's no one else to go to. Pipelines. Let's talk about those. It's kind of a touchy subject in Canada right now, seeing as we don't seem to be able to build them anymore. Yeah. They've so, been very successful over the years. Yeah. Canada has two main players. Uh, TransCanada Pipe, TransCanada Energy has changed their name to TC Energy. And then you've got Enbridge. And our inability to build more pipelines is actually very good for these guys because the pipelines that they currently have are running at 100% capacity. Distillers, there's a, there's a big one. The old story, you know, people drink when times are good, they drink more when times are bad. They've almost become uh, like a cornerstone of a lot of people's investment portfolios. And I've owned distillers for years. I mean, there's three big players. There's Pernod Ricard, there's Brown Foreman. Pernod Ricard has Chivas and Absolute. 
and Brown Foreman. Uh, they're famous for Jack Daniels. And of course, you've got uh, Diageo, which has Johnny Walker's, Tanqueray, Smirnoff, and Among the list others, goes. Yeah, yeah, the list goes on and on and on and on and on with these guys. And what makes this such a hard business to crack is, especially if you produce the premium stuff. I mean, if you produce the rot gut that the winos drink on the curb, well, that's certainly one thing. But if you're going to oak cask. Uh, a single malt scotch, for example, and put it away for 10 or 15 or 20 or 25 or 30 years. And you look at the price of these things. I mean, oh. what, is, what is a 25-year-old scotch in the, in the... In the in the stores? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, it depends on the maker and, and, and its reputation, but I'm going to throw a number out there. I'll probably be maybe a little bit off, but I'd say in the four to $500 range. Yeah, four yeah. to $500 range, where if you sell a, uh, a scotch that's maybe five years old, Maybe it's 25 bucks a bottle. And you think about putting something away for 30 years. And, and you have to have a good relationship with your banker. <laughs> exactly. But you, you think of putting something away for 25 years. And the, the value that you get by casking it for 25 years is phenomenal. I mean, it's going to go up 10, 20 times in value. And that's something where the newbies can't compete because they're not going to have products that can compete with that for the next 30 years. So they're competing at the bottom end of the scale. They're competing in the stuff that you mix with uh, Coca-Cola or Pepsi and uh, and serve it to your friends. And strengthen at, that monopoly as well. Yeah. <laughs> water utilities. Now, water utilities are probably the best utility because... Everybody needs it. Hey, everybody needs it. And unlike even electrical utilities or telephone utilities where you might have the option of a couple of different players in your neighborhood. Water utilities, the infrastructure is such that there's usually one pipe coming in to supply you with water and one pipe going out to take care of the waste. And so most places don't have competition at all. They've got one of the major players in the U.S., and there's a number of them. There's American Waterworks, there's Aqua America, there's California Water Services. But this is one of the ultimate monopolies because there's typically only one of them that's competing in your doorstep. So they go to the Public Utilities Board, they tell the Public Utilities Board what they would like to charge, they put together a proposal. The utility board allows them to make any expansions or improvements to their line and gives them a reasonable rate of return, which is often between 7, 8, 9, or 10%. And that's a great business to be in when you know you're guaranteed that and you don't have any competition at all to compete against you. Okay, let's talk about credit cards. We touched on this one. The two major players, I mean, there's lots of credit cards out there. So many different stores and retailers have their own credit cards, but the two that automatically come to mind are Visa and MasterCard. Typically, those are the big players, and of course, there's a Discovery Card, and there's a few others trying to crack into the space, but those are the two big guys, and the underlying business is such that they charge a fee for every transaction, and the underlying banks that sponsor the cards take on the credit risk. So if you have a credit card issued by one of the major banks in Canada, for example, that bank is lending you the money. Visa and MasterCharge, every time you use the card, they charge a fee. So the banks take on the credit risk. They don't even have that. And you take a look at how much the transactions that we typically saw in the past 
are now moving to plastic and that looks like it's going to increase you know this has just a, been a great long-term business to be in banks we talked on those touched on them in the in the last episode just a little bit the big five banks in canada basically a monopoly yeah i mean they're, they're well, there's credit unions and things of that nature but they don't have the power no, and uh, frankly, the big banks are in wealth management, they're in mutual fund, they're in exchange-traded fund, they're in a financial and estate planning, they do loans, they underwrite new, uh, new issues, they lend, they're, they do mortgages, and so they've expanded into virtually every niche in the Canadian marketplace, and they've been furiously buying up competitors. Uh, mutual fund uh, managers and portfolio managers and insurance companies and adding it to their own stable of products. And they've also, as we said last week, they've also expanded into profitable international markets. It's one thing Canadians do very well. They're very good at managing insurance companies. Defense stocks. Boy, they make a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, and the four biggest defense contractors in the U.S. are Lockheed Martin, Boeing, Raytheon, and General Dynamics. And with the huge technology and manufacturing requirements necessary to qualify for government contracts, this business is pretty close to a closed shop. Also, global tensions have been rising over the last few years, and we're starting to see an arms race now between China, Russia, and the United States and Europe. Every time there's an arms race, it means they throw out all the old technology, and they spend enormous amounts of money building new one. All right. Social media. Oh, boy. What a subject this is. Yeah, and, and of course your risk here is that with social media, and the big player in that space is Facebook. They have Instagram, they have Messenger, and Facebook, and they totally dominate Western social media. There's a number of big players in China, but the biggest risk here for the Western players it, uh, is that governments, especially with some of the new rules coming in in Europe, uh, they make efforts to scale these guys back or break them up. But that doesn't look like it's going to happen immediately. So Facebook is the big player in this place, in this space. And the final one that we want to touch on is utilities, electric and gas utilities. I mean, we live in Canada. We pretty much need them both year round, either to keep warm or to cook our meals or to stay cool. Yeah, and uh, and especially in winter, you got to turn on the lights. So electric and gas utilities spend an enormous amount of money building energy and electrical infrastructure in a specific area. And so that virtually guarantees that they have a monopoly. And then they'll go to a government board or regulatory body to set a price that allows that utility to make money, but also protects the consumer from not paying too much. And a good example excuse me, in this area, are Fortis and Amera. These are two electrical utilities that have done very, very well in Canada. They have increased their dividend. I think Fortis has increased its dividend now 42 years in a row. So they're companies that are very, very consistent, and there's certainly examples of that in the U.S. as well. But both these companies have a significant footprint in the U.S., so they're the type of companies that you can look at at a pullback to, to add to or start a position in and slowly grow it over time. Okay, so there's some examples of monopolies, something that you should strongly consider as part of your investment portfolio. And I guess we should, there's a little caveat here, Ron, that none of these are bulletproof. I mean, there, there's always something that can go wrong. Uh, and I guess the best example of that would be the recent Boeing situation. Yeah, you look at Boeing with their 737 MAX jet, and they've had a couple of big 
uh, high-profile accidents with two of their planes. And, of course, They Boeing, grounded the fleet, grounded that particular part of their fleet. Right? Yeah, grounded yeah. that particular part of the fleet. And you don't know where exactly this is going because uh, there's going to be a new wave of suits by the airlines because they've had to ground all these planes and they've lost revenue and they've had to go and lease other planes to fill that gap. And I think Boeing is going to have to fill uh, a big financial void for many of these airlines that are going to be sued. Now, they do have some insurance, but it just goes to show you that no businesses are foolproof or risk-proof, even the big airlines. So uh, you want to make sure that you spread your risk around, but they do have high barriers to entry, and it's a great way to build substantial wealth in the markets. And you don't have to believe me, just ask Warren Buffett. There you go. Monopolies, one area you should strongly think about. If you have a question on your investment strategies or a question about a particular stock that you're looking at and you're not too sure you want to send us a question, you can reach us through makingmoney at cfcw.com. You can direct your question there. It'll come directly to us. Or visit our website, letsmakemoney.ca. We just have it up and running here now for a few weeks, and there's an area there, comments at letsmakemoney.ca. The question will come either directly to Ron or myself, and we'll address it in upcoming episodes of Making Money. Ron Hebert is the financial coach, retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead, retired broadcaster. We thank you for joining us on this edition of Making Money. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.